Life is a bunch of buckets. If you think about it like that, it's not the most romantic imagery you can think of. But I want you to think about it like that in the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about buckets. Today we're going to talk about all the buckets, but we're going to focus a lot of our time and attention on the last bucket. Life being a lot of buckets, the biggest bucket that we spend the majority of our time, 8 to 10 hours a day, a lot of the time of the year, maybe we'll get a couple of weeks off out of the year, is our work bucket. That work bucket is what uh, defines for men who they are many times. They, get, they, they derive a lot of their personal value from their work. I don't say the ladies, you don't, but I'm saying the male ego is just wired that, that way. And we spend a lot of our life, men and women, working. We, 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 we live to work and work to live, and, and that's what we do, and we try to do it well, and we try to, uh, try to move up the ladder. If we're not working, we're thinking about working. If we're not, if we're uh, uh, thinking about what we're doing, we can think about what we want to be doing. If we're thinking about the job we're at right now, we're thinking, what, what, what could be if I was in another job? And we spend a lot of our life just in the, in the whole throes and the whole work scene. But that's not the only bucket that we have. There's another bucket that exists in our lives. It's a little bit more decorative. It's something that you would have in the home because it represents the home. It's the domestic bucket, if you will. The domestic bucket is the bucket that uh, represents home life. And, and typically, work, you work to, to take care of home. Home, home is where you, the heart is. Home is what you go home to. A man's castle is his home. And we think that those are our, our two main buckets in life. This represents family. And, and we do this so that we can provide for this. This is just an old work bucket, but this is a beautiful bucket. We want to have a beautiful family with beautiful vacations and great education and, and good nutrition. And we want to think about health and life and longevity and things like that as we take care of the home. But there's more buckets than just two buckets in our life. I want to add another bucket and it's uh, this bright red bucket. This is, um, I try to think about this bucket as being the Razorback Red, okay? It's kind of the hobbies bucket. Now, today it might be Bronco Blue or it might be uh, uh, Burnt Orange or whatever it may be that is your team color that, uh, that, that you're rooting for today. But I'm going to call this, this is Razorback Red, and this represents hobbies, the things that we like to do. Now, this bucket should never be bigger than this bucket, and this bucket surely will not be bigger than this bucket. We wish that this bucket was the biggest bucket because this is the fun bucket. All right, we enjoy this bucket. We play in this bucket. Fantasy football leagues are in this bucket. Uh, our gym memberships in this bucket. Our, 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 our bunco parties are in this bucket. Uh, this is what we do for fun. This is a fun bucket to be a part of. Uh, and, it, and it's good if you keep them in order. And I don't know that this... I don't know, I'm not saying that because this is larger, this is more important, but we just spend more time here. And sometimes because we spend more time here, this does become priority, sadly. Uh, but there's another bucket. And this bucket actually hasn't always existed. In fact, for you on this side that maybe can't see, this is a shiny bucket. This is a nice bucket. It's got some craft to it. And this is a smaller bucket. This is our social media bucket. That's our our Facebook image management that we like to manage how we look. 
we pick out our profiles, we, we make our statements, and then we want people to like us. We want friends on Facebook, and I want more friends than you have, and, and you want more friends than I have, and I want more likes than you like. And the way we do that is we make sure whatever we put out there on the web looks good. All right, it's photoshopped. It is the best of the best. We've deleted the rest. You know, it's that kind of thing. And these are our, our public buckets. We let the world know about us what we want them to know about us. We play with who we want to play with. We go home to the person that we chose to spend the rest of our life with. And we work in a job that we have chosen or that we're in at least right now until we get another job. And that's our public life. And that's not all the buckets, though. There's another bucket, or two, or three, I don't know, but there's at least another bucket. This bucket is hidden inside all the other buckets. If you look at this bucket very closely, it's a bunch of shattered glass put back together. This bucket we don't let out out of the box very often. This bucket we may not even share with the person that we're in a significant relationship with. But eventually, if that trust is there and that that relationship is there, you might open up a part of this and show them some of the cracks. But this is a very vulnerable side of you. And for the most part, we are taught either subconsciously or consciously in our society that we are to keep this in protection, in seclusion, in privacy, because if you let this out, then you will show your cracks. And if people see your cracks, if you let down your cracks, then they will, they will penetrate and they will, they will take advantage of you. And there's some truth to that, sadly. These are the buckets that, that I think most of us would identify with. But there is one more bucket. And it's probably a lot smaller. But it could actually be the most deadly of all. That bucket right there is the bucket that will determine the t- temperature, the quality of the rest of the buckets. We might have our job look and we might have our family and we might have our hobbies and we might have our social media and that's all the public image. But when it's a dark night in our home and nobody else is around, this is what we live with. Whenever nobody else is looking, we're looking at the imperfections and we're seeing them. But then there's this that I'm afraid a lot of people don't even want to go there. This is a side of themselves that they want to keep hidden, that they don't want to go there. Some people don't know how to go there, and because they don't know how to go there, they don't go there. But yet that right there, this little vase, bucket, this little thing can carry enough toxin to run the rest of your life and to control the rest of your life. Even though your intentions is not for it to control you, it can control you. We start a series of messages today, and we're not going to talk about in the series of messages these buckets. We're going to talk about those buckets. We're going to talk about the hidden side of us. We're going to talk about the private side of us. We're going to talk about the uncovered side of us. Because this is my hypothesis is that I really believe that we do a really pretty good job 
at cleaning up and making sure that this part looks pretty good. That, that we do, we do pretty good job with the, with the 80% of our lives. Making sure 80% of us looks right, acts right, behaves right, pays our taxes, votes, good patriotic Americans, whatever it is, Republican, that, that, that you, you deem as a good person. We're pretty good at that. We, we take care of our families. We send our kids to college. We make sure they have all the extracurricular activities. Even if it kills our, our family, we'll make sure that they're on all the traveling teams. And we will take care of the family from this perspective. The problem is, is that it is this that is the most fragile. It is that part that will determine everything else about everything else that's about life. I want you to find in your Bibles the book of Romans, chapter 7. When you look at this passage of Scripture, there may be a whole lot of the Bible that, as, as it is still with me, that I struggle with and I stumble through and I, I try to make sense of it all. But I'm going to dare say that when you come to this passage of Scripture, we all identify with it. And this is what I'm going to say is, the, is, is that that last 15, that last 10% of our life that we can't seem to get a hold of, that we can't seem to get under control, that tends to control us, It's that behavior, it's that habit, it's that thought, it's that attitude, it's that feeling, it's that emotion that literally controls the temperature and the feelings of our entire life. And we can't stand the darkness of our own soul. And I want to say it's that last 10 to 15% that can make us or break us. When you read Dave, excuse me, uh, Paul here, you find words like this, I, I do not understand my own actions. For I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Would you please get into the emotion of that? The very thing I hate, the very thing I despise, the thing I've confessed, the thing I've gone to counseling, the thing I've read books on, the thing I've talked to people on, the things I've confided in. I, I, I don't want to do it, but the thing I don't want to do is the thing that I keep doing. How do I get past this? For I know that, that nothing dwells in me, nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. I really believe everyone in this room, I'm going to go make a broad statement, everyone in this room wants to do what's right. But not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. So who's doing it then, Paul? If you're not doing it, and you're not doing what you want to do, but you're doing what you don't want to do, who's doing this? The sin that dwells in me. Every single one of us struggles with the little black bucket. 
And every single one of us can get about 80, 75, 80, 85. I'm going to say 90 for some of you. Percent of our lives in order. But it's the last 10%. We can't get past it. It controls us. It consumes us. It wrecks us. And where is it? Where is it, Paul? Where is it? Is it on the outside? Is it all the temptations on the outside just coming at me? Is it, is it the culture and all the cultures going to hell in a handbasket? You know, is, is it the, is it the Democrats? Is it the Republicans? Is it, is it social medicine? Is it what? No, he said, it is the sin that dwells in me. Let us be awakened today to a bit of a dark side in all of us. That if we lie to ourselves and try to have some positive mental energy and try to say, you know what, Mike, you're just too negative here, then I'll tell you this, you're probably not going to like the rest of this series. Because I'm really not trying to be negative. But what I am trying to do, I'm trying to face the music. I'm trying to face the music in my own life. This message series has been in the works in my heart, in my own life, for the past eight months. And it has wrecked me. It has pointed out crevices in my life, corners in my life, cupboards in my life, that I, I, I actually kind of liked some of the stuff that was in there. And I actually didn't want somebody to see that. And I actually didn't want to deal with that. There was some of the stuff that I did not want to do, but I kept doing. But by and large... I was struggling with some of these areas that I did not want to address. But I need to. So what is Paul talking about here? It's called stuckness. Okay? I know that's not a word it is today. Officially, it's going to be in the, it's going to be in the dictionary starting tomorrow. Stuckness. All right? It's when you're stuck. And I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to venture out again, and I'm going to say that most of the people in this room deal with a level of stuckness. In their life, in what they're, in what they're grappling with, and they want to get out of it. They really do like Paul. They want to do what's right, but they can't seem to get on the right. They can't seem to get out of that, that darkness, that stuckness. And so let's today just take a look, take a glimpse, two symptoms of what it means and looks like to be stuck and to be stuck in this, in this state of being. And we're going to look at, 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 at the book of Romans, and we're going to see from chapter 5, and we're going to hit high level. I mean, we're going to be at 30,000 feet looking down, chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. And we're just going to skip across it. But you want to study it in depth? You're going to find Paul struggling with sin himself, dealing with sin himself, talking about how we should be free from sin ourselves, talking about how he's, he is locked in it himself. What is going on here? The first symptom that we all need to embrace about our own selves is this, that sin will own you as a person. Sin takes no prisoners. It owns you. It wants you, it owns you, it controls you, and you don't even realize it. And the thing is, is that we're born like this. It's not our second nature to sin, it's our first nature You don't have to teach a child to lie. You have to teach him to tell the truth. We have to retrain ourselves because it is in our very nature to do what is wrong. David said of his own life, Surely I was sinful at birth. 
that innocent little creature that you gave birth to one day was a hedonistic little sucker in the makings. <laughs> Sinful from the time of my mother conceived me. I want us to realize something about sin. Sin is first a noun before it is a verb. We think of sin in, in the terms of verbs, something you do, an action you do, a thought you have. We think of it as something you do, something, you, something you've done, you've acted upon, you've reacted. And really what it is, is it's a noun before it is a verb. It is who we are. It's what makes up who we are. It's what defines us. It, look what Jesus said himself when he was dealing with the Pharisees as they're trying to straighten everything up in their own lives, get them all perfect and spit-shined and, and looking beautiful out there. What does he say in Mark chapter 7? He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of the person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality. Here's what comes out of a person. We, we might think it's all on the outside coming in. No, 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 it's on the inside coming out. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. Where do these come from? All these evils come from inside and defile a person. We, we are the sin before we sin. And again, not sweet music, not sweet nothings, but a stark reality that we must face. And there is hope, and this message series is all about getting unstuck. But first of all, I'm afraid some of us have got to embrace the fact that we are stuck, that we are tr- trying to move forward, but we can't. We are sliding off into an abyss, and we can't get out of it. And where did all this start anyway? You had a mother, you had a father, I had a mother, I had a father. Their name was Adam, their name was Eve, and they messed it all up. We can blame our mom and dad. And every since then, every generation, every since then has been messing it all up. It's just in their nature. It's in our nature. It will be in your children and your grandchildren's nature. We will not improve on that. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. The results of this we live with. Where do people get stuck? There's lots of places people get stuck. I'm going to give you a couple of them. Sometimes people get stuck in dark alleys. These are emotional chains. These are wounds that we've had happen to us, things that have happened to us, bruises, bumps, hurts, pains, defilements, uh, betrayals, trust broken, you know, things that have happened to us. Even in our innocence, if I can say that, have happened to us that we then carry on the rest of our life. And because it happened to us, we end up doing it to them. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? Hurt people, hurt people. Sick people make sick people. And the reality is, unless we deal with the dark alley, and who likes a dark alley? Nobody wants to go down a dark alley. It's a dead end. Nobody wants to go there. It's scary. Light it up. Deal with it. Deal with the darkness. It's there. We all have it. We're living in this world. And that's where fear and anger and jealousy and envy and many of the attitudes that stick us come from. John Eldridge said it like this. Every man carries a wound. 
in case you thought you were woundless. I've never met a man without a wound, no matter how good your life may be, may have seemed to you. You live in a broken world full of broken people. Your mother and father, no matter how wonderful, couldn't have been perfect. She is the daughter of Eve and the son of Adam. So there is no crossing through the country without taking a wound. And every wound, whether it's assaultive or passive, delivers with it a message, the message that feels final and true, absolutely true, because it is delivered with such force. Our reaction to it shapes our personality in a very significant way. From that flows the false self. And most men, and I will say women, you meet are living out a false self, a pose, which is directly related to the wound. People live in fear and anxiety. They live in a state of, of confusion and wondering about the future. A book that I read in preparation for this is America's Favorite Sins or Our Favorite Sins. And he said this, 60%, he was from a study that was done, 60% of the U.S. lives in a state of anxiety and fear. Some of you right now will not move forward into the future because you're living with fear and anxiety. Where did that come from? It probably came from some wound somewhere, somewhere in the past that you haven't properly processed through. And it will be a dark alley in your life. Where are your dark alleys? Go to them and shine light into them. Number two is detours, pride, possessions, pleasures. Chuck Swindoll said it like this in his own version. He says it's self, silver, and sex that pulls people aside. These are the distractions of this world. This is what America is best at, are these detours. It's the American dream. We live the American dream, and that American dream is an idol for us. That if I could have that, and I could have the pleasure, and if I could have this, and if I could have the silver and the self and the sex and the pride and all that kind of comes into play, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa came to America on her last tour before her passing and was speaking to the American president and to the the press corps and was speaking to the American people as she looked over the affluency of America. And in the affluency of America, she called us poor and impoverished. She said, there's no greater poverty than the poverty of the soul. Poverty of the soul. And so many people, because they have such good jobs, they have such wealthy lives, and are so good at what they do, but they are neglecting the poverty of their own souls. They dress up the backside, and they neglect the inside. These temptations of Pride and possessions and pleasures have been around for a long, long time. They're the same temptations they got Jesus. It's the same temptations that the Apostle John referred to in 1 John 2, 16. He says, for the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure, a craving of everything we see, and pride of our achievements and possessions. But that's not of the Father. But what happens is we start pursuing after that and it becomes the little black 
bucket that we pursue after and it becomes our little idol and we not only protect it we cherish it and we polish it and we live our lives for that the very thing that tempted jesus was that pride pleasures possessions you think about it, when jesus was being tempted in the, in the wilderness satan said hey if you'll take that rock and turn it into bread satan tempted him with that That's that lust of the flesh because he'd been hungry for 40 days. Think about turning a rock into bread. Hey, hunger, finish. That's okay. Do that. No. Temptation for more and more of the flesh. The lust of the eyes was there as well. He said, take this. He says, if you will bow down to me and you you can have all of this land for yourself. Throw yourself off was the third temptation. He said, throw yourself off the temple and the angels will swoop down and save you and pick you up and you will be the greatest. Appealing to the pride of life. We are tempted in all three of these ways constantly. My friend, I have a verse for you that I've been working on in my own life. (laughs) It may not apply to you as it applies to me. It's one I've been memorizing for a couple of weeks now. Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. The problem is so many of us are chasing fantasies, chasing pleasures, chasing the things of this world. I had a very dear friend of mine in Africa, in Zambia, when we lived there, who was a great man of God. He was a Bemba man, lived up in the north uh, of Zambia, but he moved down to Tonga land. We worked in the Tonga, among the Tonga people. He moved down there to be a church planner. He was the first national missionary that I ever met that was a church planner in his own country. It was beautiful. I mean, he had a heart for God. He had a heart for the people. He loved, he loved, this man, if I needed somebody to pray for me, I would call on Pastor Mafunga. I saw him cast out demons. I saw him pray over the sick. Pastor Mafunga was a prayer warrior. He started this church in Mapetija, Zambia. Amethyst mind area and spilled out from there that, and there were other churches that started other churches that started other churches. It was, it was beautiful. Pastor Mafunga was my hero and he was my right arm. He just had one problem. One problem. He liked other women more than his wife. And sadly, Pastor Mafunga about five years ago died of AIDS. If you and I do not get this under control. If you and I don't take care of the last 10 to 15% of our life, if you and I don't figure out how to take care of this, we will self-destruct in time. And one of these days when that happens, if we don't pay very close attention to this, what's going to happen is it's going to happen and you're going to remember back to this day. Oh, there was a day. I remember a message somewhere back there in January of 14. There was a message and he talked about a little black part of our life. We don't get it in order. We're going to crash and burn. So where are you detoured? Where are you detoured? Another thing that gets us is ruts. Ruts. These are those addictions and habits that come upon us. Oh, maybe we've had them all of our life. We've had a problem with addictions and, and, and habits. We, we take them on and they manifest themselves into other things. It's a, and it's addiction to work. It's addiction to pleasure. It's addiction to, to substance. You go from smoking cigarettes to 
an addiction to food. You go from, uh, uh, and then you gain weight, and so then you have an addiction to, to, to weight loss programs, and then it's one addiction to another addiction. And what is the problem? We're just always constantly out of balance, swinging the pendulum from one side to the next. What is it about these addictions? They're the dark spots of our life. They're the buckets of our life that we've got to, got to, got to figure out. Got to, got to get past them. I had a good friend of mine, and I got permission from the family to share this because it's close to our church here. It was a, it was a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, who became close. I ended up leading him to the Lord, ended up baptizing him, ending up going on global adventures with him. And he and his wife and my wife, we would go out to eat together. He and I would play tennis together. We kept each other accountable. We were in Bible studies together. And I thought I knew everything about him and I thought he knew everything about me until one day he told me there was this 30-year addiction that he had. And this 30-year addiction was killing him, was taking his marriage, was going to cost him his job, and he wanted help. So I was there. I was there. And we walked beside each other for a while until literally it came to a crossroads where it was like my addiction or my family, my addiction or my job, my addiction. And guess what he chose? His addiction. I could tell that story after 24 years of being in the ministry multiple times. I can tell you about a man who was addicted to pornography, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on help, reading books. His wife attempts suicide in the process just because she cannot live in that home any longer. She did not succeed, thank the Lord. 50-year marriage now, mind you. This is not a young man. This has been going on for years and decades, costing him his marriage, nearly. The good side is he dealt with it. I'll save the rest of the story for another day. Another man. I led to the Lord in my last church over in northeast Arkansas, who was a farmer, a successful farmer, a cotton farmer in the area. Cotton is king there, and he was wealthy. He had lots of land, lots of acres. He, he contracted out to other, other lands, and he was a very successful, he was a young man too. He kind of got into the, into the business by family, but he just grew it, and he was successful. He becomes a follower of Christ. He was a part of my Sunday school class. He had two boys he was raising up. His family were serving in the church. It was beautiful. He had one problem. He had 10% of his life that he couldn't get figured out. He loved to go to Tunica. He loved to go and gamble. And the last word I heard is this young up-and-coming believer, this young, awesome individual was behind bars. It's real. I, that may not be your addiction. Yours may be something else. Video gaming. Social networking. Todd Hunter said, Anxiety, procrastination, overeating, internet, social media, laziness. These are some of the most real issues in, uh, of, of life today. 
What kind of rut are you in? Stalled. Stalled is another category. And maybe speak to the largest group in this room are those who are stalled. Because these are the ones who are Christians and have been Christians long enough that they know how to say no. No to God. You take a young Christian, he's just yes to God in every way. He's ready to do whatever for God. He's ready to to conquer the world for God. But you give somebody long enough in the Christian faith and they'll learn how to say no to God. But we've got to realize no to God is a sin. It's the sin of omission, not the sin of commission. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, "So So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, what happens for him? It is sin. When only 4% of the believers in the world that profess Christ tied, there's a problem here. Whenever we, we lack for people to serve and to teach our young children because I would rather just come once and not have to serve and worship and, and you know, we, we have this, this self need to take care of ourselves and, and not take care of others and serve others, then we have a problem. I love, I just got back from West Africa on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, and of the six that went, it was four of them had never been on a global adventure for Grace Point before, and so it was a, it was great taking taking them over. We had a lot of fun. It was a lot of laughs and a lot of great ministry. But let me tell you the highlight. The highlight of of the trip for me, as I'm sitting here reflecting on it, was whenever a grandmother of four goes over with us, and and she's just in the village life with us. And she marches for the next village with us. And one afternoon, I think it was Tuesday afternoon a week ago, that we are sitting under the mango tree in a little village called Inkorakora. You'll not find it on a map. You'll never need to Google it. There's so few people there. But there were 75 people under the tree and a little gray-haired grandmother sitting under the tree, standing under the tree, tells them with articulation and confidence... The story from creation to Christ. In a village where there's no more than 10 believers, 75 are under the tree, and maybe two of them are believers under the tree, heard the gospel for the very first time. But let me tell you this. Six months ago, she didn't even have a passport. Six months ago, the world wasn't even on her heart. But God said, it's time for you to go. And so she was gone. And she went. So many of us have learned to say no to God. Let me ask you this. Listen very carefully. Where are you stalled in your direction with God? Where has He said it's time for you to do fill in the blank? It's time for you to answer the call. It's time. We got four spots for Molly in March. We got one spot for South Africa in March. Okay, no excuses today, my friends. Are we ready to answer the call of wherever God is calling us, whatever He's calling us to? If you have your Bibles, you, we, we looked at Matthew, uh, Romans 5 a while ago. Let's look at Matt, Romans 6. And let's just see how we are not to be controlled. We're not to be enslaved in this. If you just roll carefully and you could circle the words, if you will. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Are, are we to continue in sin? By absolutely no means we are not to continue in sin. He said, If you go down to chapter 6, verse 6, he says, No longer are we to be enslaved to sin, but free from sin. Verse 9, death is no longer a dominion over him. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, 
verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you. Look at those words. Enslaved, free, dominion, reigned, dominion. What do those words speak of? They speak of control. What did I say about sin? Sin will own you. It will control you. It will take you down. It will take me down. I am one, one decision away from stupid and losing everything I've lived my life for. All I have to do is let my guard down for one moment in one bad relationship, in one bad situation, and it's over. I've got to be careful of the last 10 to 15% of my life. The second thing, and I'm finished, is that sin will wreck you. Once it owns you, it will wreck you. I can tell you story after story. I've told you some already, but I won't, I won't labor it any longer other than to give you the big warning that sin will wreck your life. It's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He goes from yay to yuck almost. Verse five, Chapter 5, he talks about where sin originates. Chapter 6, he talks about how we should be overcomers of sin. And then we just read chapter 7 where he talks about how I, I can't do what I want to do and I want to do what I can't do and I'm just, I'm just locked up here. What am I going to do? See, the problem is, is that we, we're living a contradiction. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Living the contradiction. Because so many of us are caught up in this contradiction. And the contradiction is this, perception versus reality. See, the perception is, for most of us in this room today, as I look across the room, most of us, the perception is we have it all together. We're pretty good, we're pretty good on the job, we're pretty good on the family, we got, our, our kids are going off to school, they're, they're on the honor roll, we even put a sticker on the back of our car that says, my kid's in such and such honor roll, and your kid's an idiot, basically what we're saying, you know, we're, we're, we're bragging, you know, look at my kid, look at your kid, because uh, I, I never qualified for one of those, I, it's, a, it's an angst that I've got. So, you know, the, the problem is, that's the perception, is that this family has it all figured out, then the reality is I'm painfully stuck. I'm painfully stuck. And you look at verse 24 of chapter 7, you see Paul in his emotions. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Worthless creature. Sack of wasted human flesh. That's what Paul's saying about himself. That's how he feels about himself, because he can't get this under control. And I love the question that he asks, because the question is just as important as the answer. Getting the right answer means you've got to ask the right question. I think you could know that from just life. What does he say? He said, who will deliver me from the body of death? He didn't say what will deliver me. What pill, what medication, what new book, what new theory, what, not, what new philosopher, what? No, he said who. Who will deliver me? Who will deliver me? The very next verse, he says this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I am going to be made whole. I'm going to be made complete. The story is not final on my life because Jesus Christ is my hope. In verse 
1 of chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've got two options. What do we do with this message? What do we do with this series? We've got two, two responses, if you will. One response, we can go on like normal, conceal and cope. Conceal and cope. Say it with me. Conceal and cope. That's what we've been doing for so long. We take the little black bile, we put it in our, in our thing, we take our, our little broken pieces, and we hide it behind our perfected social media. And so nobody really knows what's going on. Conceal and just cope. Or, better, confess and correct. Confess and correct. Proverbs says it like this, whoever conceals his transgressions, that's option number one, what happens will not prosper. But he who confesses, option number two, forsakes them, will obtain mercy. A.W. Tozer said, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved at once. We try to fix this life and we're not going to fix it in our broken worlds and our broken lives. But my friends, what we need to do is penetrate deep inside of us and allow Christ to penetrate deep inside of us so that that dark spot will be exposed, so the dark spot will be taken care of, so it will be crushed in the end. I want to close by a story. I was in Fort Walton Beach, Florida this past summer and was riding a taxi uh, to the place I was staying. And the taxi gra- cab driver was a chatty little individual. And, uh, and he was telling me all about this. We were near Eglin Air Force Base. And he was telling me about bun- bunker-busting bombs. He lived there all of his life. And he talked about these bunker-busting bombs. And one time they were testing him out. And he said people in Fort Walton's windows were being busted out. And on the news they told you where you could call. And, and so I thought, man, that's a serious bomb. I mean, people windows being busted out. So I went and looked up bunker-busting bombs. And they're designed to have two levels of penetration. So if you have a nuclear plant, if you will, or a lab underground with thick walls of cement below it, it's, it's designed that it will penetrate the ground and then have a second explosion into the concrete that will then explode into the nuclear shelter. The point being is this. Some of us are like a fault We have got our hearts so protected and so guarded because we don't want this to show and we certainly don't know how to deal with this. So we just keep it hidden as best we can. And listen, this series is meant to be a bunker-busting bomb in our lives. But not to destroy. I promise. To build. And to give hope. Would you pray with me? Father God, break through. Break through. You're stronger than any brokenness of our life, any dark, sinful element that we're holding on to, any rut that we're in, any any pleasure we're seeking 
You are stronger, you are stronger, you are stronger. And Lord, I pray that we will allow you to be who you are, the God who created us, who loved us, and wants to give us hope and life. And I pray that, Lord, you will break up our hearts today and begin that work where we have hidden and we have protected areas of our life that are full of sin. Lord, we bring them to you and we ask for healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us?